Podfix Network. I'm an audio master, Phil. Well, I mean, that's becoming more apparent by the second here, Tove. Okay, let's begin. Before I explain what we're doing today, I'd like to introduce a couple of very special guests. Both of them hail from a place that is an endless source of ridiculous news headlines. That's right, (laughs) the state of Florida. (laughs) First is a friend of mine and fellow podcaster and an insanely talented illustrator. Please welcome that illustrator guy, Phil Rude. How you doing, Toph? I'm great. Thanks for being here. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Well, like I said, we have a second guest. He is a glutton for punishment because he doesn't have just one podcast. He has two. The first is the award-winning Varmints podcast. The second is a bite-sized audio delight known as Chicken In With Chomo. Please welcome my pal, Elimination Paul Chomo. Thank you so much for having me. How are you, buddy? I am doing... Great. I have had a couple of adult beverages, and I am ready to roll. I think that is perfectly appropriate for what we're doing today. Oh, boy. It's the rock and roll lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) Paul's living it right here. (sighs) Yeah, he sure is. Great. Well, thank you both for being here. I think we're in a fun discussion. Let me just explain what we're doing, and then we'll get started. Whether it's apparent or not, We're on a quest to determine my all-time favorite song. So I searched my personal catalog of over 10,000 songs. I chose 256 of the most worthy songs. Then I created four 64-song tournaments divided loosely by decade and type of music. Each of those is referred to as a stage. And the four stages make up a year-long mega tournament. The winners of each stage will be part of an ultimate final four. Those winners will enter the ultimate championship matchup The winner of that is the grand champion of the entire mega tournament and will be declared my all-time favorite song. Does that make sense? Sure. I could have just gone through this process myself, but I thought it'd be more fun to do it with a group of friends. So here's how that's going to work. Because the other thing that I wanted to do was invite the Gravity Beard interns along on the journey. And that, of course, is the Facebook group for our show. And both of you are interns. As you guys know, but the listeners don't necessarily, is that we've posted a poll in the group for every single matchup between two songs as we've gone along. Also, one of my goals for this project is to hopefully expose people to music that they've never heard. We'll discuss many, many mainstream songs that that are in the tournament. There's also going to be some fairly obscure songs, now not necessarily in in this stage because this is 60s and 70s, but there's a couple maybe that are that are lesser known, and certainly in future stages when we discuss the the other decades and um, stages two through four. There's going to be some stuff that comes up, uh, certainly in the 90s, that a lot of people haven't heard of. That lays the groundwork, but this is kind of how this is going to work, and this is why I wanted you guys to be a part of this. Today, we're we're going to discuss the results of Stage 1, songs of the 60s and 70s. And I invited each of you guys to fill out a bracket, so we're going to discuss your picks. But then we're going to we're going to go out to the interns at large and we're going to discuss the picks that the group made. And finally we're going to finish by discussing my final four and reveal my favorite song from this stage. I want to kind of everybody to pick one just to, to kind of participate but also to compare what they chose out of my song catalog versus what I chose. Oh, okay. So you're kind of figuring this out for yourself as we go along. Yes. Cool. Yeah, that's exactly right. But also stacking up against popular opinion. Yes, exactly. So obviously we couldn't have everybody in the Gravity Beard interns on the episode. 
that's over 240 people. That would so, be an amazing episode. <laughs> <laughs> it would just be a couple hundred people talking over them to each other for two hours straight. <laughs> and characteristic of our group, it'd be a lot of arguing and shouting at each other. Oh, it would be gosh. just like the polls you've been posting. That's right. <laughs> and everyone would walk away dissatisfied. <laughs> because that's tradition. The order that we're going to go in is Phil's going to go first. He's going to share his final four. Then Paul will go next. Then we'll discuss the results from the interns at large. And then I'll go last. Sounds good. Let's do it. Great. And really, the ultimate goal is just to discuss great music that one way or another, we've all loved it one time or another. For sure. All right. Well, with that, Phil, I turn it over to you. All right. Just to give a quick rundown on my final four, I have my group one winner was Uptight by Stevie Wonder. My group two winner was Castles Made of Sand by the Jimi Hendrix Experience. Group three, I brought in Into the Mystic by Van Morrison. And group four was Queen Bee by Taj Mahal. And I've listened to Taj Mahal for a while. You talked about a few obscure songs from this era that snuck in. I had never heard this song before, and I absolutely, I really caught my ear. I really like this song, so I'm glad this made its way into the tourney. You've never heard the song Queen Bee before? I had never heard Queen Bee before, and I've, I've listened to Taj Mahal for quite a while, and sure. for some reason, that one has just snuck by me. I believe that was like a 1967 release. Yeah, it was just new to me, and I was really glad uh, to have found it. So it was a really cool kind of side effect to this. Yeah, we've already accomplished one of our goals. Just a tip to the listener not a tip as much as a suggestion we're only going to discuss a handful of the songs if you hear us mention a song just reference it and you're thinking man i've never heard that song before man do yourself a favor and track it down and go listen to it yeah totally i want to do behind the scenes for people who aren't in the group like you posted youtube links to each song as you posted them and it was like listen to these so really we've just been listening to music for i don't know what a month month and a half as we've kind of whittled this down And it's been revisiting some stuff and and introducing some new stuff. It's been really fun. I got my top two songs out of those four, uh, Into the Mystic by Van Morrison. And Into the Mystic is from the 1970 Van Morrison album, Moondance. This song did not chart on Billboard, but it has kind of been appreciated Later on, Rolling Stone listed it at number 474 on their 2010 list of 500 greatest songs of all time. Wow. I don't think I knew that. It's really kind of wild because when you look at everything else on that album, like it had some huge hits on it. But for a song that didn't chart, it really, I think, has kind of built a legacy behind it. A BBC survey found that the cool vibe and kind of laid-back style of this song made it a favorite song of surgeons to listen to while they are performing operations. Uh, Apparently, it keeps kind of a baseline of just, you know, it keeps everybody calm, keeps everybody collected in there, I guess. I would agree with that. I thought that was really interesting, Uh, you know, an aspect of music you don't think about. Oh, what what is my doctor listening to as he's cutting into me? (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. I would have never thought of that. That's fantastic. That really is kind of cool. Elvis Costello listed Moondance as one of his favorite 500 albums and pointed out Into the Mystic as his favorite song of that album. Well, that's not an obscure album at all, even by Van Morrison, who's probably a little bit obscure. But if you haven't 
heard it in a long time or if you've never heard it definitely just revisit that whole album it's terrific that's one of those few albums that i've i bought on several formats i bought it on cd i bought it digitally i i own the vinyl record i think i have two copies of the vinyl record um it's just it's an album i have double and triple dipped on it's it's so good yeah i agree Legendary rock critic Lester Bangs said that Into the Mystic is the heart of the entire album. It's kind of the heart and soul. It's sort of the... Uh, oh, interesting. Kind of the mission statement of of a really mellow and cool album. This might be my favorite Van Morrison song among many, many songs that I like by him. It is definitely my favorite Van Morrison song. Yeah. I gotta hear it. I don't have the fear. Together we will fold into the mystic. Come on, girl. Rounding out my top two, I have Castles Made of Sand by the Jimi Hendrix Experience. A little bit deeper cut of of Jimi Hendrix. You know, everybody knows like Hey Joe and Fire and Purple Haze. Uh, this came off the second Hendrix Experience album, 1967's Axis Bold as Love. The album peaked at number three on March 9th, 1968. But the song did not chart. Jimi Hendrix only had, I think, one top 40 song. Like, by technical standards, he's like a one-hit wonder. He really only charted with, uh, I think, Hey Joe or Wind Cries Mary, something like that. Oh, wow. I never thought of it like that. Yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah. But you're talking about in the U.S., right? It's just listed as Billboard. I don't know if that's U.S. only or if that was worldwide. Doing some research on some other songs, I noticed that some artists did extremely well in the UK and just did mediocre in the US, or certain songs by certain artists. That could be the case, because I think Hendrix lived in the UK for a while. He may have been a lot bigger star over there. Well, he actually was. He basically got famous in the UK and then came back to the US as part of the British invasion. Uh, classic Hasselhoff move. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's, he's the David Hasselhoff of classic rock. That's right. <laughs> many, many people have referred to him as that. No doubt about it. Toph, I'd like to turn it back around to you and ask you why you included this song and not one of the more mainstream songs or, or not even like a, another cut like Are You Experienced, which I would have going probably all the way in my bracket. It's a completely subjective process by me, right? It's it's just my own sensibilities. And and I've, and I've been listening to Hendrix probably, I mean, just like you guys probably have for a long, long time. So I, I went through the hits. Bold as Love is probably my favorite Hendrix song, and I or, or Little Wing. And, and I think just those little bit deeper cuts from like this album and sort of his Band of Gypsies stuff going forward. 
Yeah. You know, where he got a little weirder. You know, one of my other favorite songs, which I don't even know if it shows up on your radar, is Wait Till Tomorrow. That's one of my favorite uh, Hendrix songs. Oh, yeah. Sure. I like Little Wing. And, and I actually heard Little Wing first by Steve Ray Vaughan and heard it by Hendrix later. And I still liked... I mean, I mean the Stevie version is amazing. Sure. But I went back and I liked the Hendrix, the original Hendrix version, a little bit better. I think I heard the Derek and the Dominoes Little Wing before oh, anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a lot heavier, I think. But yeah, uh, back to this song uh, real quick. This song is is kind of widely interpreted. Like the only thing everybody seems to agree on is that it's it's kind of an autobiographical song. But family members and his biographers have kind of they've said, oh, it's about Jimmy having to move around a lot when he was a kid, or it's about his mother leaving, or it's about his brother being removed, or his father's alcoholism, and it's. It, it, like it's it's really wide in scope, but I think the lyrics are too. So it may be about all of those things, but really, I think everybody is kind of just pointing to the fact that like Jimi Hendrix became more of a songwriter and sort of got more personal by this point in his career, and and I think that's a really interesting part of this song too. Uh, plus, the backwards guitar at the beginning is just it's badass, and I it yeah. blows my mind a little bit every time I hear it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So, Phil, th- those were your your final two. Between yes. those two songs, what was your pick as the as the best song of the sixties and seventies? My pick for the best song of the sixties and seventies is Into the Mystic by Van Morrison. I love this song. I love the album. This is one of my wife and I have wildly different musical tastes, but this is one that we like strongly agree on. It's kind of like one of our, our albums that we can just put on and just love that it's on in the house. And, uh, and Into the Mystic is just, I think one of the most beautiful folk songs that doesn't sound like a folk song ever, you know, like it's just, uh, it's got a little bit of Irish influence and, and, um, and still has that folksy guitar and it's about mystical and it's just a a beautiful song all the way around. I love it. (laughs) I don't remember how or when I was first exposed to Van Morrison, but as soon as I was, I was hooked of his catalog. I like a lot of his stuff and I can't say that about a lot of artists and Same. and this probably is my favorite Van Morrison song, and and I do love the the Moondance album. I, I love almost every song on it, and this is a deeper cut on a very popular album, but it's probably my favorite, if not my favorite Van Morrison song. So um, I have no problem with this pick as your favorite song of the sixties and seventies. Cool, Paul. Why don't you go next? I matched up Upright by Stevie Wonder with Baba O'Reilly by The Who. Stevie Wonder, I was introduced to him by Sesame Street when I was a little kid. That makes sense. Yeah, and they would ha- they would periodically have musicians on, like Stevie Wonder and Jose Feliciano. 
And uh, Stevie Wonder always stuck with me. And when I was probably in my early 20s, I really went on a deep dive of Stevie Wonder. And because the internet did not exist back then, I had to buy the cassettes. Of course. Yeah, and and Uptight really, really stuck with me. But it's alright my clothes aren't you. I because my heart is true. She said, But Baba O'Reilly is probably the best song by The Who. I think you said it in the group. I think you said that it's The Who at their best, like every member at their best. Everyone's doing their best work in that song. Yeah. Every individual member. Like, it's it's the best Keith Moon. It's the best power chords. It's the best Daltrey, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if I listen to a Who song, like, between this and... Won't Get Fooled Again, that's like my top two Who songs. And I will, if this comes on the radio, I will not turn it off. (laughs) So uh, I went with The Who on that one. And my other top two was Ramble On by Led Zeppelin and Into the Mystic by Van Morrison. I didn't get to, I I didn't really get into Van Morrison until 2013, 2014, because, you know, we can't really all... We can't all absorb. It's all never of, too late, Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we we can't take in all of the <laughs> pop culture and all the same time. You know, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what song got me into Vin, Van Morrison, and it was not Moon Dance because that gets played all over radio everywhere. I've heard that a million times, but for some reason, I started getting into Van Morrison. I I can't remember when or why, but into the Mystic. Oh, I know why. Because Moondance was picked as like one of the best albums of all time. So I downloaded it like I did with a lot of albums. And I thought, well, what does what makes this the best album of all time? And I listened through to it. And Into the Mystic is such a beautiful song. And it's probably it's it is my favorite Van Morrison song of all time. It's just gorgeous. So yeah, that and Ramble On, which just is one of my top two favorite songs from Led Zeppelin of of all time. This was such a hard final four. Oh my goodness. Oh yeah. I have a question for you, Paul. Please. Because there was a handful of Zeppelin songs in the tournament. Yeah. And maybe it's just how the tournament, you know, how the matchups went. But how did you end up with Ramble On versus some other Zeppelin songs from the from the pack? Led Zeppelin by far one of my one of my favorite bands of all time. Best rhythm section in the history of rock and roll, probably Black Sabbath is the is the second best, but Led Zeppelin the best. John Bonham, John Paul Vo- Jones and probably my top two favorite songs from Led Zeppelin are Ramble On and When the Levee Breaks. Oh my God, those are my, uh, I, I was gonna, <laughs> you pulled them out of my brain, man. Those are, that's it right there. Yeah. Those are the two. Yeah, Ramble On, John Paul Jones's uh, uh, bass throughout that whole song and John Bottom just crushing it on the drums. 
Yeah. Man, it's hard to beat that song. Paul, before you reveal your, your selection, your final selection, I happen to have some fun facts about Ramble On as well. Oh, cool. Just a few. Please. This is from their 1969 album, Led Zeppelin II. They had very uninteresting names for their first four albums. <laughs> did, did that go all the way to... F- no, five was Houses of the Holy, so they started naming their albums on their fifth album. Yeah, four is not officially named four, though, either. Yeah, what, 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 what's the other name for four? Uh, people call it the Zoso album, yeah. or it might, it might even be self-titled. I'm not sure. It's, it's really weird. Um, In any case... Uh, this album was called Led Zeppelin II. It was their 1969 release. This song was, you know, not surprisingly, like many of their songs, was co-written by Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. In 2010, the song was ranked number 440 on the list of the Rolling Stones' 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. The song's lyrics were influenced by Lord of the Rings by uh, Tolkien. And until 2007, this was never performed live in its entirety at any Led Zeppelin concert. Really? Yeah, and then in June of 2008, Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones joined the Foo Fighters on stage at Wembley Stadium and performed the song from start to finish all the way through. That's the first time ever. No way. Can you believe that? That is amazing. Wow. Can you imagine being at that show, man? (laughs) (laughs) 40 years into the song's existence, it's finally played on stage from start to finish for the first time. Finally, when nerds rule the world, they feel safe enough to to <laughs> sing about Lord of the Rings in public. Right. <laughs> yeah. But but if for, for Tolkien fans, if you listen to the song, it's very obvious. There's very obvious references. Yeah. Yeah. They talk about Gollum in there. And uh, uh, Led Zeppelin 4 has a song called Misty Mountain Hop, which is about it's from The Hobbit, uh, the Misty Mountains. And um, yep. and the Battle of Evermore is, is from Tolkien. They, they were giant nerds, you know, and you don't really realize it until you look back and you're like, oh, they were like, they were like comic nerds and fantasy nerds. It's, it was, it's really kind of cool to, to look back and see the coolest guys in the world were just a bunch of geeks, really. Well, yeah, you don't expect the, the biggest rock gods in the history of music to also be massive nerds. Right. But they were. They showed us all that nerds could get laid and, and gave us all hope. Like, that's correct. Oh, that's amazing. So, uh, where did you come down on that one, Paul? Okay, so my final two was Baba O'Reilly by The Who and Ramble On by Led Zeppelin. And I went back and forth on this probably since yesterday. Like, all day yesterday, I I went back and forth. And so my final pick was Baba O'Reilly. Interesting. And the reason I went with that is because, and this is going to sound weird, but Ramble On, near the end of the song, starts to get repetitive, as awesome as it is, whereas Baba O'Reilly kind of, there's a lot of variety in there. It starts off, it starts off as one song and kind of evolves into a different song, if that makes any sense at all. That that is really in yeah I get it yeah it just it's a more interesting song like Ramble On completely rocks and boy it is so good but Baba O'Reilly just has enough variety in it to kind of push it over that edge and I 
Keith Moon always sounds like he's learning how to play the drums as he's playing the drums. It's the weirdest <laughs> thing. And he's just gifted. Oh, yeah. my God. Both Keith Moon and John Bottom are just amazing. But They're great. Gosh. The greatest two drummers in rock. Yeah. Yeah. And if I had to pick one, it would be Bobla O'Reilly. That's an interesting thought process, Paul, because obviously both of these bands are, are rock legends, right? Yeah. They're very evenly matched. But after hearing your explanation, I like your reasoning, but also I think Ramblon is is one of many, many good songs by Zeppelin. This is an amazing band at their best, and it's more of a rock anthem than Ramblon is. Ramblon is a is kind of a rock journey. You know, just be, just the way it's written yeah. and what it's about and whatnot. And this is a rock anthem. And by the time you, you're done listening to it, you think you can run through a sheetrock wall. <laughs> yeah, that's wow. That is a great way to put it. I'm all about what songs make me feel good. And Baba O'Reilly, like if it comes on the radio again, I'm just not turning it off. I'm air drumming to it. I'm if I'm in the car, my foot is a little bit heavier on the gas pedal. And I just, God, I love this song. No, but I'm, I'm with, I'm with Toph in that your thought process on that is so abstract and, and interesting. Like I never would have put that, you know, what's the more interesting song. I never realized that Ramble On has the Stephen King ending of rock songs, you know, like it just <laughs> peters out into nothing after the most interesting thing in the world, you know, like, but yeah, Bob O'Reilly does start you with this weird keyboard riff and then it brings you into something absolutely different and then it takes you back out. The, it, yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot of variety in that song and I never would have put that together in, in a comparison of these two songs. I was just like, oh, I like Ramble On better. <laughs> uh, but you know, you you explain it in a way. It's like, no, no, I get your choice. That you know, it's not it's not my choice, but I totally get why you made it going through that process. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it, what I would say is that you know, listen, getting together with a group of people of any size or any type of people and discussing which song do you like the best, including this example of that, is a hundred percent a subjective exercise for sure. So whatever anybody picks and whatever their reason is, you can't argue really that reason. That's their reason. You know, we're, we're not breaking these down scientifically, which some people can do. And most of the time when you pick a song as one of your favorite songs or, or that you choose it over another song, it's because it made some sort of personal impact on you. It was played at a certain point yeah. in time or a certain experience or so you emotionally connected it to a thing. And that's why you like it. It's personal and it's subjective. Cool. Well, Okay. Thanks to both of you guys. What I want to do now is I want to go through and discuss the the final four of the GBI, which again is the Gravity Beard Interns. That's our Facebook group. I took all of the matchups. So from the 64 song tournament, we had 32 matchups. We voted on all of them all the way through. And here's the four songs that the, that the GBI voted on for their final four. Old Man by Neil Young faced off against Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles. And then In My Life by the Beatles faced off against Tiny Dancer by Elton John. And this was a very, it, it's funny, none of us picked a Beatles song, but there were a lot of Beatles songs in this grouping. When it came down to it, only one Beatles song survived. And the championship matchup from the GBI ended up being Tiny Dancer by Elton John versus Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles. Before we get into those two songs, let's just jump in. Where do you guys stand on Elton John, who actually is is in, I think, the second round of his farewell tour? 
Uh, my wife saw him like a year and a half ago in Miami. She said it was a great show. I'm a I'm a big fan of like 70s era Elton John. I think uh, you know the you know don't do drugs, kids. But when Elton John was on cocaine, he was making some really great stuff. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but and and some of his 80s stuff, you know, like that's when I kind of. Uh, discovered elton john was you know i'm still standing era kind of stuff but then you work backwards and uh you know tiny dancers a a great song it's one of those like i didn't my final picks i didn't want stuff that's been played to death by classic rock radio because that format has kind of ruined certain songs for me but i still do love tiny dancer and i i like old school elton john quite a bit yeah, to that point, uh, Phil, uh, there's definitely some bands that if they were uh, if they were able to stay relevant as they transition from the 70s and 80s, I don't know if I can come up with an example where I like their 80s material better than their 70s. Can you think of a band that that started in the 70s and got better in the 80s? I would argue Tom Petty did some really good stuff in the 80s. Okay, well, pause right there because my opinion of Tom Petty, who I very very much like, if if you just take his entire catalog, unless you're very familiar with it, you could just take a song and you say, "Hey, when did this song come out?" It's pretty ubiquitous. Yeah, like <laughs> you could guess eighty three, and it could have been sixty eight. Yeah, that's not that's not uh, that's not unfair. That's um, I'm a I'm a really big Tom Petty fan. Same. And I think one of the things I love about him is just his consistency. Him and yep. you know he has the Heartbreakers are a great band. Uh, and and I've seen I saw them live twice and and they're just an amazing show band and but yeah incredibly consistent so yeah maybe that's not the greatest example the one that sticks out the most for me is Chicago who is terrific in the seventies and and just a violation to humanity after that <laughs> it, a totally different band yeah. <laughs> You know what we're going to do as Chicago? We're going to get rid of the horn section. The one thing that really set us apart from every other (laughs) band. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, Chicago was amazing. And then Peter Cetera became the lead singer. And it just, I'm not going to go any further. Just a little bit of background on Tiny Dancer by Elton John. So, of course, it was written by Elton John and his writing partner, Bernie Taupin. Taupin stated in a 73 interview in Rolling Stone that the song is about Maxine Feebleman, his wife at the time. Tiny Dancer is the opening track on Elton's fourth album, uh, Madam Across the Water, released in 1972. It was certified triple platinum in 2018, which means it sold three million copies of just that song as a single. That's crazy. Wow. Surprisingly, it only made made it to a triple platinum song, only made it to 41st on the Billboard's Hot 100 in the US, and only made it to 70 in the UK. It's appeared in tons of places in pop culture, and I think it really experienced a pretty big resurgence in the memorable scene from the 2000 Cameron Crowe film Almost Famous. Almost Famous, yeah. Yeah, which, which is a very, very good film. Yeah, that's where I first heard it. The second song was Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles. Here comes the sun. Here 
Quick positioning statement by both of you. Where do you stand on the Beatles? <laughs> I know where this is going. I'm a, uh, <laughs> I'm a big fan. I, I really am a big fan, and I love Here Comes the Sun because uh, it's a George song, and I think George is the best Beatle. Um, but but that said, in doing a lot of these polls, I'm like, uh, they're one of my favorite bands as a whole, but picking out individual songs, I don't know that I pick a ton of Beatles songs to to be at the top of my list. Yeah, they're all like tied for seventh, like somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah. Like you like them enough, but but are any of them your favorite song of all time? I had the same issue with, with a number of bands. Paul, go ahead. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> What's your thoughts on the Beatles? The Beatles in general are not my favorite band, despite the fact that I'm pretty sure my mom partially named me after Paul McCartney because she's a huge Beatles fan. And I re- distinctly remember when I was four or five years old, because she taught piano for about 25 years, she had a Beatles songbook. And I would stand by her piano while she was playing and sing along to all the songs. So I really should be a Beatles fan. But somehow they never landed on me. But I will tell you that Here Comes the Sun made it a lot farther in my bracket than I thought they would. Because George Harrison. Because it is his song. He wrote it. He sings it. And... I don't really make it a secret that I I struggle with with anxiety and depression. And that song to me just kind of reminds me when you're on that upswing and you're feeling good and you're kind of like at the top of that bell curve. That song feels really really good and I think he was actually at that point uh, when he wrote the song. And so that song of all the Beatles songs really kind of lands with me and I really relate to it so I yeah I pick against the Beatles every chance I get but this one <laughs> this one made it really really far for that reason yeah I, I agree with all of those things that's a great reason uh, when when it lands with you on that, on that level on that mental health level that only, you feel like you only understand this and then you hear that song that also understands that that's that's a great reason Paul that's really cool yeah, I agree. Well, yeah, thanks. I mean, I think George was going through a rough time when he wrote that song. You know, and I've been going through a rough time for God knows how long. And that song just always picks me up. Well, here's some fun facts to support actually your personal reason for this song. It's from their 1969 album, Abbey Road, which of course is incredibly famous. It was written by George Harrison and is one of his best known compositions for the Beatles. He wrote the song in early 1969 at the country house of his friend Eric Clapton. The song is about his relief at the arrival of spring and the temporary respite he was experiencing from the band's business affairs. If you read further into that explanation, it talks about how he was basically playing hooky from some meetings that he was supposed to be at. And, you know, it, they put it in a very, in a really simplistic way, his, his relief of the arrival of spring. I interpret that to mean exactly what you just described as the reason why you like the song. And so I, I think you're, I don't know if you're speculating or if you read it somewhere, but I think you're exactly right about where George's head was at when he wrote this song. 
and it received critical acclaim for music critics. Here Comes the Sun gained for Harrison the level of recognition as a songwriter that had previously been reserved for his bandmates John and Paul. The final fun fact, which I thought was really interesting, John Lennon did not contribute to the song because he was recovering from a car accident. Oh, wow. Yep, so he was not on this track. And he was probably also pouting because it was better than anything he had ever written. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was faking recovering from a car accident, and he was actually pouting. He was actually, that's the yeah, story behind the story. Me and Yoko were in a car accident. <laughs> we won't be in today. <laughs> and one final fun fact. As of September of 2019, it was the most streamed Beatles song in the United Kingdom with over 50 million plays. Really? Wow. Yeah. I thought that would have gone wow. to like, I want to hold your hand or one of those songs. That's amazing. That was the championship matchup. Tiny Dancer by Elton John versus Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles. Two music legends. And in the end, the interns chose for their favorite song from the 60s and 70s. Tiny Dancer by Elton John. Keith Gowla's relentless Tony Danza gifts paid off his campaigning <laughs> his campaigning for that song. Yeah, so may- maybe this is a nod to our MVP, Keith Gowla, of the pop-up film cast. Can I tell you that that is that legitimately one of the reasons that I didn't pick Tiny Dancer was because all that went through my mind was... Yeah, hold Tony me closer, Danza. Tony Danza. Yeah, exactly. I think Keith Gala, I think you ruined that song for me. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, he's not going to be apologetic. I think I'll probably celebrate that somehow. He's the boss. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, oh, well. Boy. So now we've gone through Phil's picks, and we've gone through Paul, your picks, and now we've revealed the picks by the GBI, our Facebook group. Now I'm going to give you my final four. Out of group one, I chose Different Drum by Linda Ronstadt. Oh, wow. Interesting. That's a dark horse pick right there. Well, I, we will get to that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> And that faced off against the Group 2 song, which was God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. In Group 3 was Ooh La La by Faces versus my Group 4 winner, which was Baba O'Reilly by The Who, which we mentioned earlier. Wow. So the way that the songs were originally seated in the tournament was based on my preference. The first song in my final four was Different Drum by the Stone Ponies featuring Linda Ronstadt. And I had that as a one seed in the tournament. But when we took that out to the GBI, it didn't make it out of the first round. I don't remember who it lost to, but it lost in spectacular fashion. <laughs> it probably lost to some low-ranking Beatles song that I had in the tournament or something. Probably lost to Maggie Mae. Did it? I have no <laughs> idea. <I'm> just... <laughs> when I researched this song, I liked it even more than I did before. So first of all, did you know that this song was written in 1965 by Michael Nesmith of the Monkees? I did not know that. Wow. And the first recording of it is by a northern bluegrass band called the Greenbrier Boys, who recorded it in 1966. So real quickly, 
I want to play you the first recorded version of this song by the Greenbrier Boys. Oh, can't you tell by the way I run Every time you make eyes at me So just let me know when you're done listening to them kill cats. And this isn't the one that made it, huh? (laughs) Weird. Wow. Okay, so that's enough of that. That's more than enough of that. Yes, it is. So that's the very first recorded version of that song. Here's just a little bit by the Linda Rodstadt version. It sounds insanely fast next to that other one. I agree. And it is. It's much faster. This whole song is like two minutes and 45 seconds. It's wicked fast. I'm not going to play the whole song, but just listen to the music arrangement and her voice, how silky smooth it is, and just the emotion behind it. It's a completely different song. Okay. That's the first recorded version, and of course, my favorite version. And really, that's the version of that song that everybody knows, right? Right. Here is the Michael Nesmith version of that song, the guy that wrote the song. So everybody's familiar with the monkeys. You know the monkey sound. Basically, they were a Beatles ripoff that it was a television show. And he actually, after the monkeys, which didn't last that long, went on to produce and write a bunch of music. And here's his song that he wrote in 1965. Travel to the beat of a different drum Can't you tell by the way I'm wrong Every time you make eyes at me Yes, you cry He sounds like he's on the fringe of like outlaw country of the day Like not quite hip enough to be hanging out with Waylon Jennings But he's trying Not quite as good as the Linda Rodstadt version But way better than the the first version you played for us. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, my God. I didn't know he wrote it. I'd never heard that version, the original version. I actually really, really like it. I kind of dig it. It's not horrible. No. He was like a country musician before the Monkees or something, wasn't he? Him and uh, I think the other guitar player were like the two non-actors. They were like the two m- musicians. Yeah, I think you might be right. Nesbeth offered that song to the Monkees, but the producers of the TV show turned him down. And the Stone Ponies version with Linda Ronstadt was recorded in 67. And she was only 21 at the time when she recorded it. So when you hear that, that's 21-year-old Linda Ronstadt. He didn't record his own version of the song until 1972. His version actually contains four verses as opposed to the three that, that Ronstadt did. So that song was Ronstadt's first hit single. It was 13th on the Billboard Hot 100 the Stone Ponies had intended to record an acoustic ballad version of that song, but producer Nick uh, Vinay opted for a more complex instrumental approach, including strings and a harpsichord played in Baroque style and largely improvised during the recording. As a result, Ronstadt was actually the only member of the Stone Ponies who performed on the record. The rest of the band did not. Huh. Weird. Now, furthermore... Nesmith loved her performance of the song, saying that Ronstadt's performance uh, of his song infused it with a new level of passion and sensuality. 
And in later performances of the song, Nesmith would often sing the closing verse in the same singing style that Ronstadt did. So if you saw him perform it live, which I didn't know he did, he actually went back and did her version. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So it's almost like cyclical. That is so interesting. I pulled it up on my phone. Would you like to hear what it lost to in the uh, group, discussion group? Yes. I Second That Emotion by Smokey Robinson got twice as many votes as that song. Twice. Yeah, oh, that's fair. I love Smokey Robinson. That's a great song. Smokey Robinson's great. Yeah. Yep. You can't be mad about that. But Smokey Robinson was the lowest seed in the tournament. He was a 16th seed and, and knocked out uh, basically by my pick in my final four. Wow. How much do you guys know about Linda Ronstadt? Uh, not a ton. She just was, I think, uh, always there. Like uh, in AM radio days, it was like, you would hear Linda Ronstadt song. She was, um, I know she uh, sang with Barney Gumble on the uh, uh, Mister Plow ver- uh, episode of The Simpsons. Uh, she <laughs> she did she did Barney's commercial when he was the rival to to Homer's uh, snowplow business. Yeah, um, and uh, it's, I'm I'm probably stepping on my own toes here. Was she who the Eagles? originally were playing for yep yes that's correct okay yep. here's just a couple of facts that you may not know about linda ronstadt she's now retired but over her career won 10 grammy awards three american music awards two academy of country music awards and an emmy many of her albums have been certified gold platinum or multi-platinum so she's won a tony and a golden globe and as i mentioned an emmy which means she's only an oscar away from from egot that's correct. Linda Ronstadt is only an Oscar away from being an EGOT recipient. Wow. She, she was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2014. In 2019, she received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame and was among five honorees who received the 2019 Kennedy Center Honors for Lifetime Artistic Achievements. Gosh. She is way more decorated than I think most people realize. Can I throw one more thing in there uh, sure. that may be of interest? I'm going to call her out. Uh, Joel from the Mouse and Weens podcast has a connection to Linda Ronstadt. And really? Wow. Yes. Her mother knew her. And it is, I'm not going to try to relate the story. It is in a recent episode of the Mouse and Weens podcast where they talked to their mother and she sang with Linda Ronstadt at one point. Holy smokes. Wow. Man, that's awesome. So there you go. Pretty obscure choice, I, I guess, on the surface to be in my final four, but it was my one seed, even though it got, got crushed by Smokey Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> that, really is a, that really is not a top four pick I saw coming. No, I understand, but it is for me. But again, that's an example where I don't love Linda Ronstadt's catalog. I don't have a bunch of favorite Linda Ronstadt songs. It's really just that one that just hit me at some point. That's cool. Okay, so facing off against that song is from group two is God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. Where do you guys stand on that song or on the Beach Boys? I never got the Beach Boys. My mom is a huge Beach Boys fan, so I kind of just grew up listening. It was kind of just always there. They're one of those groups that's like, ironically, they're the Beach Boys. They're the surf group. 
I hate all their surf music, but like some of their stuff, like God Only Knows, some of their you know stuff from like Pet Sounds and and Sloop John B and stuff like that, I I really think is good. I think it's well produced uh, pop music. Yeah, you you've really had a knack for choosing either my favorite song from a certain group or my really not favorite song <laughs> from a certain group. <laughs> Completely opposite. Yeah. And this is an example of my favorite song from the Beach Boys. Well, this is the only song that I like by the Beach Boys. I don't like the Beach Boys at all. <laughs> Interesting. If you play even a, even a couple of notes from any of their typical stuff, just their surf sound, I have no interest. Like, I want to get away as quickly as possible. I, I hate surf music. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody knows the Beach Boys. They're they're from LA, specifically Hawthorne, California. Beach Boys actually started as a garage band with with the brothers plus a couple of other people. They were managed by their father Murray Wilson. So they started in 1961, but in 63 the band gained national prominence with the string of top 10 singles, all of which I hate. I hate all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Wilson, one of the brothers, basically has been the leader of the band the entire time, except for some brief moments in the band's history. So in 65, four years into their history, they abandoned their beach-going themes for more what they described as more personal lyrics and ambitious orchestrations, which is exactly what this song is. So this song comes from the 1966, basically their seminal album, Pet Sounds. Now, did you know that Pet Sounds, five years into their existence as a band, was their 11th studio album? 11th? And did you know that almost almost none of the Beach Boys actually played on that album? That's right. <laughs> What's funny about this album, though, is that it was initially met with lukewarm critical and commercial success in the United States, but in the UK, the album was hailed by critics and peaked at number two in the UK Top 40. Most of this album, about eight songs, were written by Brian Wilson and a guy named Tony Asher, who was never part of the band. He was just a songwriter at the time who wrote with a lot of different people. So it was released on July 11th of 1966, and this was a B-side. Did you know this song was a B-side? No. No. What was it the B-side of? Of Wouldn't It Be Nice. Really? Which wow. I hate. <laughs> <laughs> really? It's not a surf song. No A-sides for TOEF. Yeah. <laughs> if it even slightly resembles the, the typical traditional Beach Boys uh, sound, I'm out. But the funny thing is that it was an A-side in other countries, including the UK, again, where it was very, very successful. The song was actually sung by Brian's younger brother, Carl Wilson. And to your point, Phil, that you mentioned, it was produced and arranged by Brian using an orthodox selection of instruments, including French horn, accordions, sleigh bell, harpsichord, and a quartet of violas and cellos. Most of those instruments is not anything that the rest of the band played. Yeah, it's weird. It's almost like he, he hired an orchestra instead of instead of his band. And he didn't even write it with his band. He wrote it with Tony Asher. Well, that was kind of standard by then for Brian Wilson, though, wasn't it? Well, I mean, wasn't he just kind of like running the band? They would go on tour and he would sit home and like record an album by himself. Yes, and that's exactly what happened here. And so he co-wrote eight of the 13 songs from Pet Sounds with Tony Asher while the band was on tour. That is amazing. Did he use the, the Wrecking Crew? As a band, I want to say that they played on that. I don't know if you saw the Wrecking Crew documentary. No, I about like the the studio musicians that just played on everything back in the day. Um, I want to say they played on Pet Sounds a lot more than any of the actual Beach Boys did. 
Yeah, they may have. I, I didn't come across that, but that may be true. Here's how the song did overall. It was voted 25th in Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame includes it as one of the 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. And I've never heard of Pitchfork Media, so this probably doesn't carry that much weight, but it calls it the greatest song of the 1960s. That's a little hyperbolic, but I I get where he's coming from. It's a bit of a stretch. Well, I think the thing about a statement like that, when you read it today, is that there's so much context and so much music. I mean, it's been, you know, 50 years. Right. I think if you would have had that conversation, you know, maybe a decade later after the song came out, it would have made more sense. But it's hard for us to digest a a comment like that about a single song from 50 years ago. Yeah, hindsight kind of tarnishes that comment a little bit. But uh, yeah, I can see where they're coming from. Well, to me, it's like it's like um, if you go back and reevaluate the careers of athletes and pro sports halls of fame, there's a lot of those athletes that may not get in by today's standards. Sure. I think it's the same thing when you try to evaluate, you know, a, a song from 50 years ago. But in any case, uh, uh, to, you talk you talked about it uh, uh, recently about uh, the the apartments. You know, it's harder to get an apartment the more people get apartments. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. But in any case, there's no question that you know pet sounds was their seminal album and that this song both musically and in a lot of other ways was was pretty groundbreaking at the time for sure yeah okay my third song and my final four was ooh la la by the faces i'll accept that now i think there's a note about this Phil, that I think you're going to like in particular. The Faces, for those that don't know, and I didn't know much about The Faces, was an English rock band formed in 1969 by members of Small Faces (laughs) after lead singer-guitarist Steve Marriott left to form the group Humble Pie, which is a band that I've heard of and I know nothing about. Uh, Peter Frampton was in Humble Pie. Okay. The remaining Small Faces were joined by Ronnie Wood, who of course is... Uh, Rolling Stones the guitar player for the Rolling Stones, and Rod Stewart, who did lead vocals, both from the Jeff Beck group, which I did not know that Rod Stewart was anywhere near Jeff Beck at any point. And so the new lineup, they just dropped small and just stuck with faces. The first time I heard this song was when it was on the soundtrack of the 1998 movie Rushmore, the Wes Anderson film. Have you guys seen that? I love that movie. Yes, absolutely. Okay, I do as well. And it plays over the closing credits. That's the first time I'd ever heard this song. And so, of course, I downloaded it. I downloaded the entire soundtrack. Loved most of it. On Napster? Yeah, probably on Napster. (laughs) (laughs) I admit to nothing. It was perfect for that scene at the end. And when you, the more I listened to it, and I got more into the lyrics of the song, just maybe like it more and more. The song describes a dialogue between a grandfather and grandson with the elder man's warning, the, the younger man about the perils of relationship with women. Here's what you may not know about this song. The song was written by Ronnie Lane and Ronnie Wood. Did you guys know that? I did not. No, I didn't. It was the title song for the band's last studio album titled Ooh La La. And it was also the last track on the record. Have you listened to this close enough to, to know who sings this song? I only got into the song because it was in the tournament. <laughs> it was like the first time ever hearing this song. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, that is wild. I don't. I, I don't, don't know how you avoided this song that long. I yeah. don't either. So, Phil, do you have a guess as to who actually the, is lead vocals on this song? I assumed it was Rod Stewart, but am I going to be surprised? You are going to be surprised. The lead vocals were provided by Ronnie Wood. No, kidding. I had no idea he sang anything at all. Well, he doesn't really. It was a rarity in the band's catalog because the lead vocals, of course, were sung by Rod Stewart, who only does lead vocals. He virtually doesn't play any instruments. Yeah. And occasionally, Ronnie Lane would sing vocals. And Stewart and Lane both recorded lead vocals for the song, but neither were satisfied attempts. So Stewart, who's the lead singer for the band, records it. They don't like it. They're like, okay, well, Ronnie Lane, why don't you try it? Didn't like that one either. And their producer, a guy named Glenn Johns, suggested Ron Wood sing it. They responded, well, that's ridiculous. He doesn't sing. He doesn't sing anything. Like, he might provide some backup vocals, maybe, but he doesn't do vocals. He sang the song, and they all loved it. As a result, and this is the note that Phil's going to like the most, since Stewart didn't do the vocals, he's not on the track at all. Take that, Rod Stewart. (laughs) Go cry in your mandolin. Yeah, so... (laughs) Uh, I don't know that I could name another song by Faces, so I guess I'll say this is my favorite song by them. And ironically, it doesn't involve their lead singer, Rod Stewart. So does he not get any royalties for this? God, that's a great question. I don't know. No. Ooh, can I listen to this guilt-free now? <laughs> yeah. I know that I'm not contributing. I would guess that he's high and dry. Quite possibly. Yeah. But then if you go back and listen to it, knowing that Ron Wood sang the vocals, you're like, oh, sure. Because he's not a singer, but it's exactly what the song called for at the time. Yeah, yeah, it's not a polished vocal, but I would say neither is Rod Stewart. I mean, it's there's a little it's a little more ragged, I guess. Yeah, I'm going to have to listen to this again with fresh ears, but uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I thought so too. I already love the song. It made me love it a little bit more knowing that a guitarist, a very, very accomplished guitarist who doesn't do vocals was the lead singer on such a great song i just love that fact it it does make me like the song more it's not like when like they would have ringo sing a song and everybody knew it was ringo like (laughs) right like this is him and he does kind of sound like rod stewart and i guess he probably just sounds like the song you know like he like he fits the song so that's that's kind of cool oh yeah 100 fits the song as a matter of fact when I, I I've I've seen obviously when you look at this, the name of the title it says oh it's Ula La by Faces well I didn't know who that was I didn't care I just liked the song and then somehow I came across the fact that Rod Stewart was the lead singer of Faces and then I went back and listened to the song and I was like that's not Rod Stewart like I'm a hundred percent certain that's not Rod Stewart and then but then I, I never dug into it until until preparing for this episode I was like oh my god because I also knowing knowing nothing about Faces I didn't even know that Ron Wood was in Faces. I just knew him as the guitarist for Rolling Stones. And so just to put all of those fun facts together, again, just made me like the song all the more. That is so cool. Cool. All right. So the final song in my final four is Baba O'Reilly by The Who, which was also a song in your final four, Paul. So I want to dig in just a little bit deeper and share some fun facts about this song. Obviously, everybody knows who The Who is. There's very few rock bands on this planet that are more famous. Baba O'Reilly was written by Pete Townsend and was the opening track to The Who's fifth studio album, Who's Next? And understandably, it's sometimes erroneously referred to 
the title is referred to as Teenage Wasteland, which is a refrain in the chorus. And Townsend explained in an interview, it's about the absolute desolation of teenagers at Woodstock where the audience members were strung out on acid and 20, and 20 people had brain damage. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't know anybody had brain damage from Woodstock, but, but that's where he got the inspiration for the song. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's really scary and sad, actually. It's really dark. <laughs> right. Man. I thought so, too. Now, have you ever wondered where the name of this song came from? I always thought, well, that's a really obscure name for a, for a rock anthem, but I never really dug into it. Did, do you guys have any idea? I have no idea. No, me neither. Please tell us. Even after finding out, it was kind of a, it wasn't a very satisfying answer, but apparently the song's title is a combination of the names Mayor Baba and Terry Riley, two of Townsend's philosophical and musical mentors. Huh. Oh, so he was just name dropping. Basically, when you find out that's where the name came from, it's completely arbitrary. Why didn't he just call it Teenage Wasteland? Because <laughs> that's too obvious, man. And Townsend's an artist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently so. Uh. Townsend originally wrote Bob O'Reilly for his Lifehouse project, which I had never heard of, which was a rock opera intended as the follow-up to the Who's 1969 opera, Tommy, which I never really got into Tommy. And when I found out they had done a rock opera, it, it piqued no interest in me whatsoever. I have that album somewhere. Um, I think you had to be there and really high. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> yeah, I can see that song as being part of a like a prog rock album with like a running theme to it. Well, the impression that I got from doing a little bit of research was... Tommy was such a hit that they thought, wow, we need to do that again. And he felt a lot of pressure to come up with some material for it. But it says that, that Lifehouse was scrapped at some point, and it didn't say why. And eight of the songs from the Lifehouse project were salvaged and recorded for the Who's Next album. So they basically just took a group of songs and threw them on there and then rounded them out with a few other songs. And that became, that became Who's Next. But even though that's the way that the album came together, it's still an amazing song. Here's something else that I found really interesting. The version that we hear uh, that's, that's out in the public is derived from a nine-minute demo, which the band reconstructed, because the song for, for Lifehouse was originally 30 minutes long. Good Jeez. Lord. That is prog rock. <laughs> it was designed and intended to be 30 minutes long. So started as a nine-minute demo that was originally 30 minutes long. The version we know, which I think is like five and a half minutes, the way that it describes it is is that it was edited down to the high points to make the album version. (laughs) So I have a theory about why it was edited down so much. It's because artists sometimes get so involved in their work, and, and like with George Lucas and the Star Wars movies, they don't really all the time have a, a producer or an editor to tell them no. Yeah, I think I don't know this for sure, but I think the Who had somebody tell them, "No, you cannot have a thirty-minute song." <laughs> they had a producer who said, "This won't get on the radio." Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, I think on the radio, it was "Stairway to Heaven." I think at that time was the longest song on the radio, and that notorious for DJs going out to have a smoke break or or, or have a pee, go take a dump. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I think knowing that it was part of 
a, a follow-up rock opera project after after Tommy, I could just imagine that they just had these these really ambitious plans, and they they wrote these overly ambitious songs to be part of it, and then when the project collapsed, they're like, well, what do we do with a thirty-minute song? <laughs> like, there's, exactly. if, you're not, if it's not going to be yeah. part of a project like that. You can't do anything with it. It's described as the high points from a 30-minute song. I, I just think that's really interesting because going back to your description, Paul, where it's where it has these different parts, you know, it's, it's a complex song in terms of it has different parts of the song. That yeah. makes a lot of sense now. Yeah, wow, it does. Gosh. It makes you wonder what else was in there. Like, was there some weird, like, spoken word thing? Like, <laughs> like you know, in the middle of Nights in White Satin, how, right. how there's, like, this weird poem yeah. or... Or like Jim Morrison poetry or something like that. It's like what what did you cut out of you had you had an additional twenty five minutes of you know it's like <laughs> Keith Moon snoring yeah. as he, like, yeah. <laughs> I don't even think Fish would get away with a thirty minute song at this point. No, 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 no. Well, and, and you thought Ramble On was repetitive. Can you imagine a thirty minute version of Bob O'Reilly? No. That keyboard riff just goes on and on and on. <laughs> Bob O'Reilly appears in Time Magazine's list of all-time 100 songs, Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest songs of all time, and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as one of the 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. So obviously, The Who is legendary, and I think among a pretty great catalog of songs, this is, I don't know, they've written so many hits, but this is definitely my favorite Who song. Yeah, mine yeah, too, I for would, sure. I would agree with that. I think I think it's got to be right up there. Uh, it's definitely like the most epic Who song, I think. Yeah, and I think that's what I like about it. They wrote some big songs. They're big and loud. That's what they were known for. That's why Roger Dalty's basically deaf these days. <laughs> but this is still one of my favorites. Okay, I got it down to those four songs. And as much as I love Different Drum by Linda Ronstadt... I ultimately chose God Only Knows by the Beach Boys ahead of it. And I chose Bob O'Reilly over Ooh La La by Faces. So my championship round was those two songs, was God Only Knows versus Bob O'Reilly. And obviously, when you're talking about songs from the 60s and 70s, you're basically going to be discussing mostly legendary music acts. And that's the case here, too. So you've got the Beach Boys facing off against The Who. Paul, you had a choice between two similar songs from two very similar bands from the same time. My problem was was to make a choice between two very, very different sounding songs from different bands. And I, I think I was at least partially influenced by the fact that you had chosen Bob O'Reilly. I had to choose between one of Rock's greatest anthems and a song that at the time was really, really innovative in, in the way it was musically constructed. And I, I just put that in the context of all the songs in the tournament, and there's there's a lot of rock songs there, and this one just stood out. And so it was a really tough decision. And so my pick for the best song of the 60s and 70s is God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. That is so interesting. That is, uh, 
the the band you hate the most is the one you pulled your favorite song from. Yeah, that's the irony of the choice is that I hate the Beach Boys. (laughs) That's really amazing. (laughs) That is a really, really good song. And the thing about this contest or this tournament is that there's really some hard choices to make. And there's also like some really good opportunities to hear new songs that you haven't heard before, like that Ooh La La song and that Cat Stevens song that that was in the tournament. Yeah, The Wind. Yeah, that was a beautiful song. That's some great Cat Stevens, yeah. So you can't really argue with that. That was one of my goals for this whole process was, you know, revisit and re-expose yourself to some, some songs that you hadn't listened to in a long time that you think you really know, but this time listen to them more closely. And I think that's what happened when I listened to God Only Knows. It's one of the few songs that the more I listen to it, I like it more because then I, I get more deeply into the music and then I get more deeply into the lyrics and then now I've done the research and then you just kind of love it and you have an appreciation for it and you just put it in the context of the time that it came from. And even amongst some really, really great music, I mean, we've just had a, a long discussion about songs from probably one of the best 10 or 15 year period in, in maybe in music history. And and even in that context, it still stands out. But like you said, Paul, there was, there was a lot of tough choices. I do want to say just on the time period this came from, like, uh, we're all right around the same age. This is before probably any of us, you know, this is was current music before all of us were kind of picking our own music out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, probably. Absolutely. I know. I know. As far as I, you know, I've always listened to music older than me. Um since high school. So, uh, you know, I've listened to a lot of this stuff for years, but you know, this stuff predates us and, and, you know, to really get into it. it so it, it has been with us through our whole lives and to, to go back and listen to some of it with fresh ears and some of it, I'm going to go again. Yeah. I'm going to listen to that faces song and listen to the vocals a little closer now. Yeah. You know, it, it has been a really uh, uh, cool experiment so far. I've really enjoyed, I've really enjoyed this, uh, last few months of this yeah me too for sure good i'm glad to hear you say that because that that was the intention of the entire thing cool well we did it guys we did it we did indeed paul did you have any thoughts before we go uh no i mean just to kind of echo what phil said this has been a really really interesting tournament so far it's introduced me to a lot of music that i haven't heard before which i didn't think was possible and i don't know it's just it's been a lot of fun it's really been challenging my my opinion of music like it's really gotten me to see music see these picks in a different way even if they're songs that i've heard before i'm really starting to listen to them for what they are and it's really changing my perspective that's great i'm so glad to hear that well and and just a reminder this is just stage one. There's going to be three more 64-song tournaments. It'll all be broken down by loosely by time time frame. And the three of us are kind of kind of kids of the 80s. And so that's what we're going to get into next. The next 64-song tournament is going to be mostly songs from the 80s and a little bit left over from the 70s, and then it's going to dip into the early 90s. But the, the main part of it, th- this next round, is going to be from the generation from when we were children. So that should be interesting, too. This is going to be really interesting. Yeah. I don't think the 80s have aged particularly well. <laughs> uh, some of so, some of it has. Uh, a lot of it has not. And so I'm really interested to see what comes through 
in this stage of the tournament. I'm I'm really looking forward to this. Well, it kicks off in just a few days. Awesome. For those of you that are listening, if any of this sounds interesting to you, then then please jump in, come join the group. By the end of the year, we'll do three more episodes like this one and a final episode where we reveal a champion of the entire thing, which that's going to be what I'll declare as my favorite song. I think we'll also run a poll after this episode so that the group can tell us which one of us got it right. Ooh. All right. The People's Choice Awards. That's the right. Interns Choice Awards. <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you bet. Phil, is there anything you'd like to plug before we go? At PhilRude75 on Instagram, if you go there, you can see the drawing I did of Gollum and Jimmy Page during the recording of this episode. Wow, really? <laughs> cool. Yeah, really. I just posted it. <laughs> That is so cool. All right. Well, if, if you want a tangible proof of Phil's illustration skills, then you have it immediately. Paul, what would you like to plug before we go? Uh, I'm the host of the Varmints Podcast. It's a friendly, uh, family-friendly podcast about animals. And uh, check it in with Chomo, which is kind of like my little creative sandbox where if I have something to say, I go on and say it, and it's a lot of fun. I love it. Yeah, both shows are great, so check them both out. And thank you. they're both part of the Podfix Network. Definitely. Okay, just a few credits before we go. If you'd like to participate, hear some great music, and vote in the tournament, come join us in our Facebook group. It's called the Gravity Beard Interns. You can also call us on the hotline if you like. That number is 321-465-2180. If you don't mind, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. Also, uh, tell a friend. Word of mouth is the best way to help grow an independent podcast like this one. Gravity Beard is a proud member of the Podfix Network. To find other great shows consistently creating platinum-level content, go right now to podfixnetwork.com or search at Podfix on Twitter. You can also listen to our show on Radio Haver. Search the show notes for details. Music on the show is by Silent Partner. You can find them on the YouTube audio library. Thanks again to my friends Phil and Paul for appearing on today's episode. I'm your host, Toph. You've been listening to Gravity Beard. That's what your ears will want to be listening to. Say goodbye, fellas. Goodbye, fellas. Bye. Gravity Beard is a proud member of the Podfix Network. Why is everybody holding up so much better than me?